Have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever been disappointed? Have things ever not gone the way you anticipated they would go? Maybe others around you contributed to the situation. Maybe you were the chief contributor yourself. I've been there. And in our sermon today, Pastor Doug Ellingsworth explains that even great heroes of the Bible, such as Moses, were there as well. God speaks to us in our disappointments and our discouragements. And although there may be some situations that temporarily are very unpleasant for us, He has a way of redeeming all. He has a way of stepping into our lives and causing us to rise up beyond the valley of where we are emotionally, spiritually, socially, cognitively. And He elevates our vision to what it is that He wants us to do and the future that He has for us. Don't stay. Don't stay in the valley of disappointment. Rise up and go to the mountain with us. That's what the Lord is saying. Thank you for joining us today, friend, at Arlington United. The book of Deuteronomy is and can be a little boring read, but I think I said to you once in an earlier message that it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Several reasons. One is just the the reason it came to be. It is there because a man messed up and this is his final remarks. Moses was supposed to, you remember the story, he was supposed to just speak to that rock. And God was going to send water out of it, but instead he hit it. Hit. Bang, bang. And as a result, the Lord said, you cannot go into the promised land. So Moses, because he had been leading these people for 40 years with this compassion and desire to see them successfully move forward in the covenant God had made with them, he had a series of messages that he preached and he he introduced those messages with a couple of chapters of venting, is what I would call it. Just, um, it's your fault. You aggravated me. You put pressure on me. You didn't have faith in God. The typical thing we all do. We look around at all of our problems in life and we can identify why they're ours and usually it's not, you know, it's no fault of mine. Somebody else did it. He pulled out in front of me. Day was going good. That guy pulled out in front of me. Then I got to work. Somebody got my parking place. And then it rained. Then the tire was flat. And when I went in, the receptionist wasn't there. And the boss was crabby. And the day went south quick. Not because of anything I did. And not because I let it. But because of what everybody else did. And Moses was just as human as us. And I guess that's why I like the book of Deuteronomy is because he starts out even as a leader of 40 years of these folks, he starts out explaining all of this. I'm in this situation because you weren't nice and because you didn't listen to God. But as he moves on, he kind of gets it out of his system and and he, he does pretty good. But you find him dealing with all of this stuff. And then in chapter 3, he comes to grips with his lot in life and his future. And he has a little conversation with the people after he has talked with God. So to step it backwards just a little bit, 
This entire group of people were led by God out of Egypt. Moses was the man that God chose. They'd been slaves for over 400 years, and they had grown from a group of about 70 people to now I think there were 600,000 strong men. So add to that everybody else that would have been involved in their families, and you're looking at hundreds of thousands of people that God has sent this shepherd back in to lead. So Moses takes them and they follow along in the way that God leads them. And as they get started, one of the first problems they run into is they don't have water. And so the Lord tells him, hit that rock with that staff. And when he does, the Bible says water flows from that rock. Now most of my life I've heard that story. And I thought, well, you know, just in my head, you turn the water hose on and, and some water comes out. But realize they were providing water for hundreds of thousands of people and all of their animals and livestock. This wasn't just a little water hose like in my backyard. I don't know how it worked and what happened and what it looked like, but it had to be an incredible sight when all of this water comes gushing out of this rock. And it apparently runs for years because these guys don't complain about water again for a long time. And then when they do complain about water, it's right after Moses' sister has died. Now, Moses' sister was the one who found the caretaker for him. Remember when Moses' mama made the little basket when he was a baby and put him in the water? I know I'm telling a long story and trying to cram it into a short time, but when Moses was born, the king had said all newborn babies, male babies have to die because he didn't want this slave nation to have so many strong males that they overpowered his. So every male that was born was to be killed. Well, Moses' mama hid him until he was big enough that he made noise and couldn't be hidden anymore. So she made a basket, put him in the river. Pharaoh's daughter, the king's daughter, finds him. Moses' sister is watching this, and she comes running up and says, would you like me to find one of the Hebrew women to take care of him for you? And guess who she chooses? She goes back to his own mother. And so this was Moses' sister. And she has been with them this entire journey. There have been a couple little rocky moments with her, but most of the time she was kind of the lead cheerleader to keep Moses pumped and happy and faithful in difficult times. And so now she passes away. And the very next thing you read is these people are beating on Moses' tent door. We don't have any water. And you would think after 40 years of the Lord providing for them, they would be looking and wondering and expecting or hanging around this rock waiting for it to come again. But instead, the Lord says to Moses, go out and speak to that rock and we'll provide them with water. And instead of speaking, Moses takes his staff and he hits the rock. And the Lord calls that unbelief. The Lord says, Moses, you did not believe me. And you did not sanctify me in the eyes of the people. And so you can't go into the promised land. So Moses begins in his mind again. All the reasons why, if these people had been kinder, if they would have had a little more faith, if they would have spoke a little more nicely to my sister, if they would have treated our family better, if they wouldn't have accused me of being a, a bad spiritual leader, if they wouldn't have challenged me and fire had to come and, and destroy men, the ground opened up and swallowed others, and they accused me of 
of doing that and I can't make the ground open up and I can't send fire down from heaven. But yet everybody wanted to blame me. If they hadn't done all of that and if they would have let me mourn for my sister for a little while and let us move on from that, if they would have given me a little space, then I wouldn't have overreacted. And so Moses is in that state of mind. And he had good reason, my viewpoint, because I'm a human like him. I mean, come on, give me a break, you know, we all. And so Moses has this conversation with God and he relays it in chapter 3 back to the people. And he says in verse 23, I sought the Lord at that time and I said, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to your works and according to your might? I pray you, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said to me, let it suffice you. Speak no more to me of this matter. So Moses said, God, let me go into the promised land. Let me go over there. You're, you're doing terrific things. You're demonstrating your power and might. You have just shown these people how strong and mighty you are. Let me go over there. But God said, no, I'm upset with you because the way that you treated my people. You did not obey me. You did not sanctify me in their eyes. You can't go over. And so Moses said, well, Lord, and the Lord said, Moses, that's it. Let's not talk about it anymore. The Lord just told him, it's done, Moses. The decision's made. Don't go there anymore. Don't even come back and talk to me about it. You're not going. Now, how's that for a good, loving, and merciful God? But he keeps on. He's not finished with Moses. In verse 27, he says, Get you up unto the top of Pisgah, that's a mountain, and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward, and behold it with your eyes. For you shall not go over this Jordan. But, he says, charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. For he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which ye shall see. So if you can picture Moses down in this valley talking to God about wanting to go across the river into the promised land and the Lord says, let's not talk about it anymore. I've already told you how it's going to be. But instead, I want you to get up on that mountain and picture Moses standing there looking up. And in that valley where he stands is the valley of lost futures. The valley of lost futures. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight, today about because so often we stand in the valley of lost futures. And we have the option of moving forward. We have the option of climbing to the top of the mountain. But because it's, well, it's late in life. I'm 60 now. There's no way I can accomplish the things that I wanted to when I was 40, when I had a little more little more strength, some more resources, opportunities, and, and the Lord just didn't let me do that. Or somebody took my place instead of me. Somebody else was chosen at work for that promotion and I was left out. There was a sickness in my family and I had to leave. 
The valley of lost futures. Every one of us in here can look around and talk about our future, our past, and we can find and identify places where we have been bruised and beaten, where our lives have been taken almost away from us for a little while. We lost control of them. Somebody else managed them for us, either by the the mistreatment, the unkindness, the circumstances. All of these things pile into our world and there's no human that has escaped the mistreatment of life in general and sometimes the general unkindness of people. Sometimes it's people close to them. Sometimes it's people they worked with. But everybody in this room has a story. If you had a microphone today, you could talk about your story and you could name names and you can picture faces. Moses was just like us. He had been accused of so many things that were untrue. He had stood up for people that then turned around and tried their best to take everything from him. And he stands before the Lord and says, but God, let me go over there. And the Lord says, Moses, let's not talk about that anymore. Instead, you've got to decide. Are you going to stand here in this valley and remember all the bad things that have been done to you? Are you going to replay in your mind every time somebody took advantage of your kindness and your love? Are you going to replay again the events of those evil men who stood you face to face and said they had as much God as you had? What are you going to do, Moses? You can stand here and you can live that. Or you can empower the future if you'll just climb up on the mountain. I've watched too many people stay in that valley and lose their and their family's future because they could not let go of the mistreatment they have endured in the past. I watch currently, and I guess that's kind of what motivated this because our culture is wrapped up not so much with a vision for the future, but with this angry retaliation toward the past. We want to tear down statues instead of building monuments. We want to rewrite history instead of creating a new future. We're worried about what people have done to us and and we can't get past. We can't get past the current issues that are in front of us. We would rather stew in our misfortune then we would take advantage of the great opportunities before us. And I'm afraid that our country and the individuals in it are going to wake up too late to realize I spoke out for the misfortune, those, um, those who were mistreated. I, I reached out for the unfortunate, but I did it at the cost of my own future. Because you only get one chance to live. You only get one life. And we definitely need to speak up for those who are being mistreated. And we definitely need to reach out and show love and compassion to folks who are, not, who are not as blessed as we are or who are at a different stage than we are. But we cannot stop our future progress and simply stew and fret and pout and build this little life in the muck of this valley simply because we refuse to get beyond and move past the bad stuff that's been dumped in our lives. And the Lord expressed to Moses, this is your opportunity, Moses. You can sit here and complain. You can sit here and gripe. You can live right here. 
Or you can climb to the mountain and take a look and get a vision that you can then turn around and inspire other people with. And today, I'm, I'm wanting to encourage you because there's no doubt in my mind that everybody in here has some terrible stories. This one's not in my notes. But there was a great running back for the Dallas Cowboys whose name just slipped my mind. That, that, that Emmett Smith, thank you. <clears throat> Emmett Smith tells the story. I saw it on YouTube. You could probably look it up yourself. But he's sitting there in a tailored suit that probably cost more than my house. And he's got enough jewelry on to finance, you know, the rest of our lives here probably. And as he sits there, tears start running down his face. And he says, there was an old man in my town that came up to me. Have I told this story here? Thought so. He came up to me and he said, Emmett, he said, I'm sorry that you never got to see the greatest player this town ever produced. And Emmett Smith said, I'm the only one going into the NFL Hall of Fame. But he said, no, it was your father. It was your father. But your dad got sick. And instead of going to college, I'm sorry, your, mom, your grandmother got sick. Instead of going to college, your dad got a job and went to work to take care of the family. How many stories like that could have been, should have been, that trophy should have been mine, that job should have been mine, that woman should have been my wife. Uh, all in on, everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a valley, but everybody's got a mountain. Amen. There is an opportunity before you. And today I want to tell you about this opportunity that God has set before us God has given us a glorious opportunity to find in Him freedom and peace and contentment. Yes. God has not promised to erase from our minds and to obliterate all memory of what we've been through. But He has promised that He would remove shame and doubt from us and that love and peace would be our gift from Him. He tells us, you know, revenge is His. Vengeance is the Lord's. We don't go after vengeance because that's God's. It's His job. Because if you and I seek vengeance, there is no place for peace. God gives us peace and joy. And if you and I are full of vengeance and we're going to get those and we're going to show those people who did us just how strong we are, and it's going to come back to haunt them and our world. Or sometimes it's not even getting re revenge. Sometimes it's just refusing to move on. And in doing so, we miss not just what life has for us, but we miss what God has for us. We miss the opportunity of having joy and peace and contentment in our lives. We miss the opportunity of connecting with God's eternal plan, which is what gives us hope beyond this world. We miss the opportunity of being influential in people's lives who have suffered along with us. And instead of being able to make a difference in their lives and in their worlds, we do nothing except clutter up the pathway to the mountain that they need to get to to find inspiration. Our world is stuck. It's lost in the mud and mire of disappointment and past hurts. And Jesus Christ came to a group of people who sat in the same spot. 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testament. And Jesus comes following the, the prophetic word of, of John the Baptist. 
And Jesus comes to a generation that has witnessed the worst treatment that religious people can probably pile onto their subjects. He's come to a time where they have witnessed not too many years before a great fight among the religious cultures and a banquet hosted by the winning side that used the dead bodies set on spikes and set a fire of their enemies served to light the banquet hall. This is the people that Jesus came to. People that were used to, to deep hatred, not exposed so much to the strong love. And He's the one who came and said, you can, you can sit in the valley of the shadow of death or you can let the light shine. You've got to decide what you're going to respond to. And I've come to tell you today that there is a world that waits us. And there is a world, not just, in, not just collectively, that waits for us, but there is a world that individually is open to each one of us if we will allow God to work in our hearts and in our lives. There's kind of a, a, a two-sided coin of living for God. The first side of that is, is that God's greatest desire is He's building a church. And sometimes in building that church, I get treated like he treated Moses. Yo, bud, this is just the way it's going to be. Get up on that mountain because people are dependent on you. The greater good is more important than you at the moment. But the flip side of that is, he's building a church with individual lives. And it's those individual lives that are redeemed that he paid the price for their sins. And He puts His peace in their heart and extracts the shame from them. And so, sometimes that coin is flipped and, and it's let's give everything to God to build this church and it's the church that's most important. And then sometimes, almost unexpectedly, that coin flips over and you feel the glory of God come down into your heart and your soul and your spirit. And the Lord one more time reminds you that in the midst of a, of a world filled with 7 billion people, I know exactly where you are. And I know exactly what you feel. And I know exactly what your struggle is. I know exactly how disappointed you can be. I know exactly how the world is treating you at the moment. And I just want to let you know. I just want to let you know that I know and I am the way out. But too many folks get satisfied in that valley. That valley of lost futures and they sit and they say there's no hope. But I want to point you today to the hope that God gives us. Throughout that New Testament, that New Covenant, everywhere Jesus went, He talked about hope, about a future, about a God who forgives and loves, about an opportunity that's coming. They thought that God was coming right then to bring them freedom in a, a military coup and, and to set them free. But he was talking about an expression of relationship with him that despite what the world brings and what experiences you may endure in the future, there is a relationship with God that is strong enough to sustain you through it all. That the power of God's goodness and grace in your life is greater than whatever forces may act against you. So whether life is grand and good or whether life is sorry and bad, you can maintain that 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 level walk with God because of His grace, His goodness that sustains and keeps you. 
We talk about the peace that passes understanding all the time, but we never really think much about it. We get a little bit sick or a little bit upset, and the whole world is bad. But what's the point of God saying that He can give us peace that passes understanding? There you go. And so, we get sometimes upset with life. And the Lord's telling us, look, I told Moses, go back and read again what Moses did because that's what I'm telling you to do. Now, I don't know the disappointment that may have, may have rattled around in Moses' head and spirit. But I do know that when you read in your New Testament, it says that when the devil came to lay claim to Moses' body after his death, he was met with an angel that said, get your hands off of him. And when life is all said and done, I, I really don't know what is more important than that moment. I really don't know. But when all of heaven's strongest resources are sent to protect you, because of the mark you made on this earth, because of your obedience and your walk with God. Amen. And I, I use this picture of Moses because we know Moses messed up. Moses messed up. He killed a guy to begin with. All of this stuff. Now he doesn't obey the Lord. But yet when it's all said and done, the Lord refused to give over his body. I don't know all that he experienced on that mountain. But I'm telling you, it's far better than what he would have endured sitting in that valley. So if you'll stand with me today, this is, this is kind of an unusual message, and I, I realize that. And I've not weighted it down with a lot of Scripture from the New Testament. I've simply quoted some things to you from, from there. Basically because I know that you all know that God is a forgiver. He's a restorer. He is the Prince of Peace. He's all that. But sometimes we're too content to stay in the valley because we're familiar with our grief and we're familiar with our pain. And climbing a mountain is an entirely different act that produces an entirely different feeling and requires work that we're not familiar with. Far too many people are content to deal with the negative issues of life because it's less trouble to them than it is to push through and move to something new. Remember when the, the Iron Curtain fell and all these, these small countries that had been part of the, the great Russian Empire were now free. And some of them set up democracies and some set up different types of governments many of those wound up going back to the type of totalitarian government that they had because the democracy took too much effort. It was too uncertain. When they go to the grocery store, they may only be one kind of pickle and two kinds of mayonnaise, and, and, and that may be all you get to choose from, but at least they didn't have to make the decision. They just, well, it's pickles today. With the democracy, they had to try to figure out who was going to make it and sell it and how they were going to get it all to, and it was a lot of work. As a chaplain, they've warned us that when men and women come back from 
a military deployment. Expect some marital issues. Because when you're on a military deployment, all the decisions are made for you. What you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, where you're going to go, how you're going to get there. And after that's happened for 10 months to a year, and now you come back home. According to one study, we make over 400 decisions every day just related to what we're going to eat. And now we bring those men and women back over here and in a matter of a day, they go from having to make just a few hundred decisions a day to thousands of little decisions about what they're going to wear, what their kids are going to wear, should they let them go out the door, should they keep... And it's overwhelming and there are many marital issues that develop simply from the fact that they're now having to deal with issues. And a lot of times, those from the military turn around and just walk out rather than fight through and adjust to making all those new decisions. I'm just telling you, don't let the pressures and the difficulties of life keep you in that valley where you lose your future. This is the only life you're going to get. And Jesus Christ died so that we could have it more abundantly. But it's through His Word and it's through His Spirit. And that's going to require effort. It's going to require effort. It's a lot easier to sit and lift your hands or just sit and let everybody else stand and worship instead of doing what Brother Clay asked us to at the beginning. It's a lot easier just to finish up and go home and enjoy the evening than it is to sit here, worship, come and pray, and fight through and climb that mountain so you get a vision of the future. Because if you get a vision of the future, if you go to where God's calling you to the top of that mountain, there is something that empowers you that is strong enough to influence those coming behind you. Because the Lord didn't just shut Moses off. He said, Moses, I need you. I need you to inspire the man that's coming after you. I need you to inspire Joshua so that he gets these people to the promised land. It's not just about you, but it's about a whole bunch of people that you can inspire. This message is one that never ends, so I'm just going to have to stop it and tell you today that regardless of what is in your past, there is a God who has a plan and who has a spirit and who has an experience that is so much greater than what you are dragging around behind you. I'm not diminishing nor belittling anybody's struggles. I'm just emphasizing and magnifying and focusing on the tremendous power and grace of God who's calling you out of that valley and He's saying, I've got a future for you. And if you will follow me, when life's over and it's all said and done, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to remember you and you're not going to be in the hands of the one who's trying to devour and defeat you. So how, as Jana sings, whatever you feel here today, however you want to respond, I'm going to invite you to do that. Only you know what God is speaking in your heart. That little nudge in there, it might be saying, reach out, pray, come to the altar. There may be a peace that you need to repent of. There may be some people you need to forgive. There may be just a start. Just say, Lord, there's a lot going on in my mind. A lot of things have happened. I don't know where to start with this. I need you to help me. That may be what you need to do this morning. But I'm telling you, if you will take that first step, you're climbing up that mountain. And you're going to see things that nobody else has ever seen. And you're going to have vision and you're going to have clarity. And God's going to work in your life. 
don't settle, don't sell out, and don't stop. And let this current circumstance in this valley steal your future. But refuse, refuse to listen to that voice. Because of his disobedience and his misrepresentation of God, Moses was not privileged to walk on the promised land in his lifetime. But he refused to stay in the valley of disappointment and discouragement. Disappointment in the foibles and faults of his own soul and discouragement from the challenges that those around him had brought. Instead, he obeyed God and ascended the mountain, Mount Pisgah, and he rose up to see all that God's people would possess, and he encouraged Joshua to continue that journey. Well, that's not quite the end of the story. In Mark chapter 9, we find that there's another mountain, a high mountain, and Christ is there. And guess who gets to speak with him? Moses. In the transfiguration, Moses is able to stand on the promised land, resurrected with Christ, he gets to possess all the promises that the covenant people of God had at their disposal. Isn't it amazing that if we continue our journey with the Lord, that in Him, all things are fulfilled. In the end, He is our fulfillment and brings us to the promises that we desire in Him. Won't you take that encouragement today? Thank you for joining us, friend, at Arlington United. Mm-hmm.